Tyler Smith, and this is More Than One Lesson, episode 77. I will go ahead and welcome in my co-host, Josh Long. That's me. All this, right. This episode has me excited because 1977 is the year that Star Wars was released. So. And Annie Hall. And Annie Hall, two of my uh, favorite movies. Close Encounters as well? Yeah. Yeah. That's a pretty good year for movies. That is I love year. all three of those movies. Also, I just love the 70s, so it could be could be that. And let's not forget the film Julia. Anyway, so uh, it's with uh, a bunch of people. I know it primarily as the uh, Jason Robards won an Oscar for playing Dashiell Hammett in Julia. So oh. I thought that was interesting. He's, I think he's one of the only... He may be the only guy, I don't know if that's true, the only guy to win supporting actor two years in a row, the first year for all the president's men, and then for Julia. So that's why I happen to know about the movie Julia in 1977. 77. So, all right, moving on. Uh, okay, so we've got a few announcements, and I don't think I'm going to go in the order that's on the sheet, actually. So, first things first, um... I was recently a guest on the Paul Goebel show, so you can go to thekingoftv.com and you can hear that. It's episode like 330, something like that. I don't know. It'll it'll just say, you know, with special guest Tyler Smith, so you can just find it from there. And uh, we talk about the best and worst of 2012, which was a fun discussion. In terms of TV or just in general? Uh, TV and movies. They when, when they have me and David on, it's usually to talk about movies. But uh, but we talk about TV a little bit as well. And, uh, and we talk a lot about politics. So if you are in the mood to hear me talk about politics, which apparently nobody is, uh, <laughs> tune in to the Paul Goebel Show. So that's, the, uh, that's one thing. And then, so here's another. Uh, Josh and I are going to, sometime in the near future, and I mean the very near future, probably in the next two or three weeks, we are going to embark on a on a minisode series, a spree of minisodes, if you will. I won't. I will. A series is what I said. A minisode series, kind of a kind of like a murder spree, that sort of thing. Okay, fair you, enough. You never know when the next one's going to come. Mm, I think I know the first one that's going to happen. Anyway, so uh, <laughs> please help me. So send help. Oh, it's too late. Send help to the internet. It's, this isn't live. So. Oh, no. um, but yeah, uh, this came about because I was uh, curious to know uh, Josh's top 10, and I had recently restructured my top 10 movies of all time, and uh, we thought, hey, maybe we'll do an episode about it, maybe a two-parter, and then we decided to break it up into uh, smaller episodes, mini-sodes, one could say. In fact, I just did. And uh, we're going to release them every other week, and each episode will cover one movie for maybe 20 minutes to a half hour in which we just briefly talk about it. It's not going to be an in-depth thing. Um, 
And so it'll start with like Josh's 10th favorite movie of all time. And then two weeks later will be my my 10th favorite movie of all time. And we'll just keep going like that. It's going to be going on for a while, obviously. Uh, and we may wind up, you know, missing a couple weeks here and there. But uh, that's something to be on the lookout for. Uh, and I'm very excited to to talk about it. So, uh, so, and here's a here's a fun game you can do leading up to that. Two of the movies in my top ten are not Police Academy films. See if you can guess what two films they are. Oh, um, um, what? What? That's a very strange. One isn't a Police Academy movie. The other one is. So <laughs> trick question. So okay, the doctor was a woman. Roosters don't lay eggs. What other ones are there? Those are the two movies. It's eight Police Academy movies, then The Doctor Was a Woman, and Roosters 1974, don't lay, and yeah. Roosters Don't Lay Eggs. Which is a delightful farce. <laughs> it's a Marx Brothers movie. But, uh, okay. So now uh, I've got uh, a couple of uh, rather serious things to talk about. One, um, and I won't go into a great deal of detail, but... Um, uh, and I, I might have touched on this on the show already a little bit, but uh, we've instituted a new uh, comment policy on the uh, on the website, and it's because some people. Uh, and you know what? Here's the thing: these people are often quite nice and are sometimes supportive. So I don't want to give the impression that they're just trolls. I don't think they're trolls. Uh, I don't think it's that. But there, you know, there have been people that that have left rather long comments um and that doesn't necessarily bother me either but uh the comments often take issue with not merely like something that josh or i have said but with christianity in general now i don't it doesn't upset me that people take issue with that uh but when they choose to express it on our comment board uh it seems somehow it it it's weird. It makes sense to me, but I, I feel like I can never really express it well. Uh, it, it sort of seems like they're hijacking what the website and what the podcast is supposed to be and turning it into something else. This was never meant to be a debate site or show. Um, listeners may recall early on, uh, there are people that were offering to write for the, the website and that, that were atheists, and they wanted the they said, hey, if, if you want the atheist perspective... Um, and the answer is no, I don't. It's a Christian site. There are other, unless anybody think like, oh, he's not interested in the other perspective. Go and listen to my other podcast, Battleship Pretension. I co-host it with an atheist. It's perfectly fine to get that perspective elsewhere. Uh, this is a Christian show and a Christian site. It was nominated in the religion category <laughs> of the podcast awards. It's it's in the Christian category of iTunes. I I don't I I don't hide it. Uh, this is what it is, uh, and and by the way, if you're an atheist and you and you listen, you're welcome to listen. And if you want to chime in, you're welcome to chime in. But when I feel, if I get the impression that like y- you come in to try to persuade people away from Christianity, when I'm trying to encourage them in their Christianity uh, and maybe push them further, uh, you know, and push myself further, if I'm honest. Um, then I feel like, well, that's, I sort of want to this show and this website to be a kind of a safe haven where somebody can come here, try to engage with other Christians, uh, you know, our bloggers, Josh, myself, other listeners, uh, without having to worry about 
having this whole other conversation about if this is actually right. This is we are we are operating on the assumption that on the assumption that it is right, and so we I, I can't have anybody undercutting that when that is what the show and website are. Yeah. So we don't I, we don't we want to make sure that the the comments and things don't just turn into debates on the merits of Christianity because. Um, while that certainly has a place and that's a great that's a great thing for for Christians and atheists to engage on we just feel like it's that's not what we're doing with the site or the show really and so it, it we feel like it may distract from sort of what we're trying to do as a whole yeah and <laughs> and anybody who's read like some of these comments know that I I have a I have a very difficult time not responding, um, and it's partially because I feel like oh shoot this atheist brought up this point I would hate for you know somebody who maybe is a little shaky in their faith to read that and think well there's no response so maybe there is no response and so maybe this this point can't be responded to you know what I'm, I'm everything's wrong it's all wrong like I don't <laughs> think that'll happen but. Uh, Somehow that's what compels me to, uh, you know, respond. And it winds up being kind of a distraction from the things I'm supposed to be doing. I, I don't consider myself a Christian apologi- uh, apolog- apologist. That's the one. Mm-hmm. I don't consider myself that. That's not what I feel like I'm called to do. I feel like I'm called to be a film critic who is also a Christian as well. And so yeah. that's and what it, it's about. If there are, if people have like problems with christianity as a whole or or questions about christianity that spring from something we've said even like uh, we feel like if that's something you want to engage on that's great and probably even a better way to do it is to email one of us absolutely if if you want to have like a like a in-depth discussion about you know specific things about about difficulties in specific passages of the bible or difficulties in specific uh you know concepts within christianity we may be able to point you to someone who knows more about it than we are we do because neither neither of us has been to seminary neither of us are theologians as it were right um so you know we we want to encourage anybody who's who's has questions about anything like that people who have big problems with christianity and things like that we we want to be able to to engage with you in some way on that but we we'd rather point you in better directions than than just commenting right and that's yeah that's that's absolutely true is i don't want to give the impression that we have no desire to engage at all because we are josh and i are still you know we're still people who walk around and believe these things and we're going to have to talk about them at some point individually uh but yes you can email us tyler at more than one lesson.com josh at more than one lesson.com if you have any you can email both of us or one of us if you want uh, and ask us any questions if you have like legit questions, but like in the, in the comment section and that's the thing. I, I feel like I'm discouraging anybody from commenting about anything. Um, but uh, it's, it's, and so the comment policy is one in which I tried to put a, uh, a character limit. I tried to limit it to 400 words, which hopefully is enough for most people. Um, because I don't want any what I have come to refer to as uh, like backdoor bloggers, uh, people who are not officially bloggers for the site, writing in their comments posts that are way longer than any blog <laughs> on the on the on the site. So, um, so yeah, it's four hundred words, and also uh, basic tone. Like if if I feel like somebody is just kind of looking for trouble or looking for a fight, then I will try to email that person and say, I'm sorry, but I can't put this comment up because it's it's not constructive. 
but I, I but I'm I'm going to try to keep from approaching it that way because if you look at it a certain way, almost anything can be seen as destructive, and it's just like oh no, that one mildly suggests a question, and thus it's trying to undermine me. I'm taking it out, so I'm <laughs> I'm I'm really going to try and not have that attitude. But I'm just letting you guys know that that's you know if. I don't know. It's something that has been coming up lately, and I just don't want anybody to feel. I don't want anybody to feel angry, but I want. I feel the need to restate the purpose of the website and the podcast, and state also what it is not. So, okay. Uh, a la- last announcement. We've been going for a while. I apologize, everybody. The last announcement. It is an important one. So, uh, Will Gray, who is a musician and a uh, filmmaker, he made a documentary called Broke. Uh, he was on this podcast uh a while ago uh probably i don't know a full two years maybe like a a year and a half uh talking about uh his film and uh in the last few months uh he was i I won't go into the the whole story but he a tumor was found in his sinuses uh and it turned out that the tumor was in fact uh cancerous and so they removed the tumor, but they also had to remove everything that the tumor touched, which included uh, one of his eyes, part of his jaw, and then he's also undergoing uh, radiation as well as chemotherapy. And so, you know, uh, pretty rough stuff. Um, my wife and I have, have uh, seen him periodically uh, over the last couple months, and, uh, you know, he keeps uh, pretty good spirits, all things considered, but... I think that was before he was going to be doing both chemo and radiation. Five days a week, I, I believe. And that that can take a lot out of a person. But uh, the point is that um, uh, I believe he is insured. So as far as medical bills, they're kind of covered. But he also is not working. And so there's a lot of financial strain on his wife, Angie. And so uh, they there is a website. It's I believe it's called GoTeamGray.com. I'll link to it in the show notes. And I think I'll also put something... Uh, on the side of the page that you can just click to and it'll take you right there. Um, but yeah, uh, you can go there and you can donate money if you want. Um, I would recommend that you do. I would encourage you to do so. Uh, any little bit helps. I realize that not a lot of people have money and that my audience is primarily pretty young. And so maybe they feel like they don't have a lot of money and then, and they feel like, uh, you know, I can only donate $5 and really what's that in, in the long run? It's five bucks, you know, that can pay for some groceries that can pay for a small fast food meal. It, it does something. And so really anything you can do would be great. I know they would appreciate it. And, you know, he is a friend of this show. So I felt it was warranted for me to talk about it on here. Uh, so yeah, I will post something on the side of the page that you can click on. I'll put it in the show notes. So go there. You can find out more about their story. You can read you know, personal blogs uh, from Will himself uh, to find out more about uh, what's happening with them. But I would really encourage you guys to go and do it. And uh, the rest of the time, just pray. Um, I don't think that his life is necessarily in danger right now. But um, nonetheless, like it just sounds like such a horrible, horrible thing to be going through. And uh, so just pray for him and Angie and their family that uh, that they're able to make it through it and uh, that they just stay strong because I, I feel like I wouldn't be able to. So, all right. That's all the announcements. 15 minutes on the on the dot. Wow. Uh, sorry, everybody. There's a lot of stuff to, to get to. 
But now, everybody, we're going to get to the movie. You thought this. You thought that was depressing. <laughs> okay. So by now, I have made quite a stink about today's movie. Uh, the movie is called Struck by Lightning. Okay, it came out last year. Uh, technically, it's uh, it was uh, at the Tribeca Film Festival, and then it was released on demand in December. It got a uh, a very small national release uh, January eleventh. Mm-hmm. Uh, of this year so it uh when you said last year i was still thinking 2011 and i was oh, like is yeah. it that old yeah but yes no um i'm sure they shot it into that in yeah, 2011 yeah, yeah. it's what you know it's one of those uh indie movies that kind of the the pre-production it just everything gets drawn out when mm-hmm. you're like doing festivals and getting these small releases and stuff but yeah. uh, and frankly at this point I, I i would wager that it's maybe playing one place here in los angeles and that means it's probably not playing at your local theater, no matter where you are listening to this, chances are it's not playing near you. But, but that doesn't mean you can't see it. You can see it on demand if you want to. You can buy it on iTunes, you, uh, which is say you can rent it on iTunes. Uh, so there are options. Uh, so here's the deal. I've talked about it on Battleship Pretension. I wrote about it. Uh, if, if you paused this, went and listened to me on the Goebel show and came back, you've heard me talk about it there. Um Struck by Lightning is my least favorite movie of 2012. Um, I I would venture to say I hated the movie. Um, and I don't say that lightly. There are not a lot of movies that I hate. In fact, in 2012, probably my least favorite and second to second least favorite movies, I hated those, but anything beyond that, I don't think I, I would say that I hate them. I just don't think they're very good. Mm-hmm. Um, but... Uh, or I might think, in fact, that they're terrible, but I don't have the emo- there's not the emotional element, um, and so so I'm going to really try uh, in the tone today to not be flippant uh, and snarky. It's very easy to do that, mm-hmm. um, but my reasons for hating it is because I feel like the film actually has very destructive attitudes uh, and ones that I want to take uh, that I feel like are, are very serious. Um, and you may recall that we are doing sort of a makeshift series um, that started with It's a Wonderful Life, continued with Super, and is now with Struck by Lightning. And, and the idea is uh, that people matter. That's, I guess, the general theme of the, whole, of the whole series, which is to say, you know, you matter to God, uh, very much so. Um, and that you are, you're already significant because you're significant to God. You don't have to go searching for significance. God loves you and has a plan for you. So we're struck by lightning where <laughs> this is not the theme of the film, but this will be the theme of our discussion. Uh, what we're going to be talking about is that other people also matter to God. They may not matter to you. You may not like them, but they also matter to God. They matter every bit as much as you. And so uh, we're going to backtrack a little bit, talk about uh, Struck by Lightning, and then we'll get into the theme a little bit, although we'll probably be getting into the theme fairly early. Um, but uh, and I, once again, I've forgotten to write a, a quick summary, so um, I will, uh, I'll throw it to Josh and right. say, Josh, just real quick, off the top of your head, summarize Struck by Lightning. And I'll fill in where I where I feel necessary. Well, if I can make it quick, I would say it is about a uh, high school senior who is 
set on getting into Northwestern University so that he can be a journalist. And um, he discovers that he needs to do a little bit more to get into Northwestern because uh, he thought that being head of the school newspaper was going to be enough, um, which it wasn't. So now he has to put together a literary magazine uh, because he thinks, or his uh, advisor tells him that may give him some more uh, chance to get in. Now, uh, that's the basic plot, but uh, there's but a lot as, of... Yeah, but then as, and, and like the, the main, I guess you'd call it conflict comes in when he, wa- you know, a literary magazine is stuff not merely written by him, but written by other students, and he has compiled it into this thing. And uh, people, of course, don't, not of course, but in, in the movie, the car- the other students don't want to do this, and so he winds up finding out various secrets about people, and he blackmails, blackmails them all of them. Yeah. Um, and now the other the other kicker, I guess, to the movie is it starts out with showing him being literally struck by lightning and dying. Yeah. Um, so we know then that for the rest of the film, the, the, the rest of the film is in flashback. So we know mm-hmm. that he's going to die at the end yeah beginning end yeah and so yeah it's i mean it's sort of like you know sunset boulevard or american beauty um in that regard um not as good as either of those and i am not a fan of american beauty Mm -hmm. um but uh but yeah so that's that's you know the basic story of it um it's worth noting. So it's directed by Brian Danley, who uh, I know for directing the movie Saved. He also has directed a number of uh, TV shows and that sort of thing. Uh, but it's probably more notable for being written by Chris Colfer, who is the star of the show Glee. And plays the lead character in this film. Yeah, He wrote it, he produced it, and he plays the lead character. And apparently there is a, a book called Struck by Lightning that he also wrote... Uh, and I, d- I can't quite tell what came first, the script or the book, um, because I hear that he wrote the script years ago when he was in high school, and then I think he wrote the book, and then he wrote the script in order to make it into a movie. And so at this point, I find it hard to say that it's based on his book. Uh, the two just seem to exist at the same time. So... Uh, so it is worth noting that, yes, he wrote it and produced it and stars in it. But uh, so, yeah, that's the basic that's the basic story of the, of the film. And that is uh, some interesting, uh, interesting behind the scenes stuff about it. Now, uh, as far as the film itself, uh, I've already said what I think about it. Well, in the general sense, I said <laughs> that I hate it. But uh, Josh, what did you what did you think? I, you know what? I'll preface by saying I told all my friends how much I disliked this movie. And then when I hit on the idea of doing the, the series, and then I came around to like, well, we should probably do an episode about how other people are important. Mm-hmm. Other people matter. And I was like, you know what movie we could talk about was this. And Josh, boy, he uh, did not want to see it. And, and you know what? I can't blame him because I proceeded with... All of these things I didn't like about it. So, uh, so yeah, you you went in not expecting much. Yeah, I think um, I think the key thing to go into here is that we want to talk about this in this episode why other people matter. Um, 
oftentimes in a film we will we'll talk about how that film ultimately illustrates uh the idea that we want to talk about mm. her uh you know the way that we can find things about how you are important in um and how you should value your life no matter what you're doing and we 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 find those things in both it's a wonderful life and in super um whereas on the other hand struck by lightning is one of those negative examples where it's a film that that seems to reject that idea uh if not <laughs> embody if exactly the opposite exactly or or you know if it's even aware of that idea in the in the first place that other yeah. people matter i i i cannot think of another film that i've seen that is so so dismissive of anyone who is not the main character and does not agree with the main character um this is i i think you said earlier about it that it's downright misanthropic mm-hmm. um this this lead character is he has utter disdain for anybody who's not him and what you usually expect in a film like this is for that character to after a while realize that he's been disrespectful to those people around him that he hasn't been uh thoughtful or patient or loving towards those people around him um even if there are even if they're bad even if there are problems with them even if they're very people who are very difficult to like um but this this main character has utter disdain for these people and the film is is with him 100% of the way he he never has a moment where he realizes he's been he's made a mistake he never has a moment where he makes a mistake really um which is a problem in for, his eyes or the eyes of the film he makes yes, plenty of mistakes yes exactly um and that's uh, that i think is a is a major flaw from both a both a, a filmmaking standpoint and a moral standpoint um it's a filmmaking flaw in that your character is not interesting or, and not nuanced if or he's less engaging if he has no flaws um if the film means to just present us with a completely perfect character um, yeah, and and there are and you know lest anybody think that we're saying that like we don't like movies where the main character is not likable or just plain terrible. That's not that's not what we're talking about. Uh-huh. There are plenty of movies that are great in which the main character is a jerk, selfish, overly ambitious, uh, conceited, whatever. There are plenty of them. Perhaps one of the best movies out this year was The Master, which is yeah. a stars a character who's extremely flawed who has lots and lots of problems with him probably a worse person than uh, chris colfer's character probably yes uh the question then becomes and and i want to be careful with what i'm saying the question is does the film know and I, i know it sounds weird to talk about you know the film as if it were a person uh but a film is kind of a living thing it's more than merely the director it's more than merely the writer it's it's yeah. the movie in general does the film know that its main character is a monster yeah because film films and this is an idea that i've always had films present an idea whether or not uh whether or not it's a film that's trying to push some sort of agenda or something like that like a film is art and a lot of art is communication and so it the film communicates something and i think both in the intention and in the execution of this film what it communicates is uh 
morally reprehensible oh yeah absolutely and then and so that's the thing so you hear the way josh has been talking about this this movie morally reprehensible misanthropic um and that's why i felt the need to talk about it because you know ultimately nobody's going to remember this movie it's not that important but it's 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 worth noting that there are going to be people who watch this movie and love it because they're fans of chris colfer or you know maybe you're a little younger and you don't quite have the perspective and you can and you know i know that when i was younger i kind of thought that like everyone was against me nobody understood me it was all about me um and then you get a little older and i wish i could say i shed all those but i haven't um but i at least understand that like well objectively i shouldn't be thinking like that but uh but yeah and and the other thing is i, I want to be careful when i say that like a film that a film needs to understand that its main character is doing bad things or is a bad person. I don't mean a film that condemns its main character because I don't necessarily like movies that hate their main characters or, or their characters in general. I want, I want a movie in which the, the director, the writer, the actor, they all see their main character. They know that he's not doing good things, but they, they wish, they wish that he could do better because they do like him. They have affection for him. Uh, and I think you'll find that in the master you'll find it in there will be blood to name another PT Anderson. You'll find it in, I'd say most of the works of Oliver Stone, even something like Nixon in which, you know, quite possibly Oliver Stone's most hated person in history. He still gives kind of a fair shake as far as emotionally. He doesn't like anything that he does, but he still recognizes that he is still a person with feelings and that sort of thing. And so, uh, so your more mature filmmakers, I think will, and it's, by the way, it's been a while since I've referred to Oliver Stone as a mature filmmaker. <laughs> I saw Savages last year. And so, um, but your more mature filmmakers will understand how to walk that fine line by depicting somebody doing something wrong without condemning the person as irredeemable, but also without saying he's great and what he's doing is fine. Um, and that's what Struck by Lightning does. It says this character is great. Everything he's doing is fine. And it astounds me when you read some of the reviews how many people go along with that. Um, not merely, you know, user comments, you know, people that are fans of Glee and fans of Chris Colfer and are inclined to like whatever he does. But uh, critics like uh, Lisa Schwartzbaum for uh, Entertainment Weekly, who, between her and Owen Gleiberman, I probably agree more with her in general. Um, I don't know if I actually believe that or her favorite movie of 2005 was A History of Violence and that was mine and since then I always said that I agree more <laughs> with her. You guys must than be best movie. friends then. Yeah. And so um but she gave it like a B minus and she said, you know, hey, it's all about uh you know, not giving up on your dreams and being ambitious and you know, not, you know, uh not taking no for an answer and all. And it's like, okay, so Rudy is what she's talking about. She's talking about the movie <laughs> Rudy, which this is not. Yeah. At all. I I think it's clear in the film that that that's one of the things that it's trying to get across. Maybe that's the main thing that it's trying to get across, and I think if that's the case, it falters in that in a lot of ways. But it's clear that it has it tries to take that tack a little bit. Um, <laughs> but it's amazing how that idea, especially if that's meant to be the central idea of the script, um, it's amazing that that I, I feel like to any observant watch watch viewer is going to be uh, far overshadowed by the the negative aspects of this character the, of this main character and the negative way that he acts the negative ways that he treats people and the negative way that the film portrays everyone that he doesn't like yeah 
and it's you know and from a and I feel like there's not much more to say and because I don't want to I don't want to go into every single detail because there are so many things about this movie that I don't like I don't want to go into all of them except I absolutely do want to go into every single thing that I don't like but I realize that you know it's currently pretty late at night so uh, we gotta we gotta speed this up but uh but I will say some good things about the film is that uh, it has a pretty good cast and they all do a, not all of them, but most of them do a pretty good job. Allison Janney is worth noting. She plays uh, the main character's uh, mom and the mom is a drunk and she's kind of a pill popper and she and uh, she and her husband got divorced and she's incredibly cynical uh, and you know, she goes back and forth with her son saying, you know, rather snarky things that neither of them really mean uh it's just sort of their their version of banter but uh Alice and Janney does I think a great job of really creating a human character from this collection of things that that these collection of traits that were put on this person um and she makes her very real emotionally you really do sense like how dejected she is um like there's real cynicism in that performance, uh, and it makes you uncomfortable. Um, and so that's that's a testament to her performance and what she was willing to do. Uh, also worth noting is uh, Rebel Wilson, who plays uh, Chris Cole. Uh, Chris Colfer's character, his name is Carson, by the way. So she plays Carson's friend named uh, Mallory. Rebel Wilson has kind of been an up and comer in the last uh, couple years. She was in uh, Bridesmaids, and Pitch Perfect. Pitch Perfect, yeah. And I believe she is hosting, is it the MTV Movie Awards? Is she really? I think she's hosting the MTV Something Awards. I don't remember what it is. That's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, and so, and she's very good. She manages to squeeze laughs, or at least chuckles for me, where there were probably none on the page. She Mm -hmm. manages to, just in the way she plays her character, who's kind of socially awkward, but has strange confidence in other areas. Like, it's... And she, and really, that character is kind of a collection of ticks and traits as well. But she manages to make those real. Mm. And there are parts where her character has to, you know, sort of declare the theme a little bit, uh, while also not appearing to do so. Yeah. And she manages to to maneuver that pretty well. Yeah. Um, also worth noting is Angela Kinsey from The Office, who plays the uh, his. His uh, guidance counselor. Yeah, she has a small part of it. She's not in a whole lot, but she's yeah. she's consistently a pretty funny character. Yeah, and just uh, and she's actually like, you know, that's the thing. As strange as it sounds, because all these characters can be kind of summed up and thus seemingly easy to play. But when you see an actor actually doing something with a character, especially when the character isn't on very often, um, it's it's exciting, especially in a movie like this. Um, and Angela Kinsey really. You know, when I think of her in the office, I think of a character who is dour and sullen. Uh, the character in Struck by Lightning is not, and she really plays her upbeat and mm-hmm. ditzy and Very all that lively. kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's good stuff. Um, now, here's the thing: uh, I am, I'd say, I'm kind of a Dermot Mulroney fan for the most part. I liked him in About Schmidt, even though I didn't necessarily like. I didn't like some of the. Uh, choices that the director made with how he looked um and i just i think he can be a pretty uh down-to-earth actor i believe he was in zodiac as well i liked him in that um i didn't like his performance at all and i think it's really 
you know, I talk about how some of these other character, uh, some of these other actors, they take all these disparate traits, and then they they create a character. He didn't seem to know what to do with them, hmm. um, and he creates a character that is totally inconsistent. I never quite know what he's doing, what he's trying to do. I don't know if he's supposed to be seen as an okay guy or a horrible person. I have no idea. Yeah, we really don't know how he ends up yeah. either. Like his. His attitude at the end of the film, or his... I don't know. But then again, I think a lot of that's because of the script. We don't really know where yeah. that's that's going with him and uh, his ex-wife. Yeah. I don't, yeah, I don't want to put all the blame on him. I just didn't like the character, and I just think he... And I think he probably just did not... Just didn't know what to do with this, because there's nothing really to do anything with. Yeah. Or there's too many things. But uh, anyway... Uh, as far as the way the film is put together, something you and I commented on. Uh, when I first watched it, uh, I saw a critic screening of it, and I was there, and uh, and I was mostly just focusing on the writing and how much I hated everything I was hearing, and I wanted to get up and scream at the screen. Uh, so I didn't really think about the directing. <laughs> um, but second time around, when you and I were watching it, like it, it's directed by Brian Danley, who, who directed Saved, which is not a movie I like that much, but I remember that movie having much more life to it. This movie is n- is just dead on the screen. It's it really just a, is. just a dead fish. And I wonder if it's the sort of thing where maybe it was such a low budget that they had, you know, three weeks to shoot it or something maybe, like that, yeah. and maybe it's just, you know, you get to a scene and you're like, we don't have, we don't have time to do multiple angles. We got one one long shot and we got one close up and that's going to have to be the whole scene and and some of it just seems like that or or you know there's some lazy montages in there yeah um and there's times when i feel like there there are moments that might be funny if they were shot a little bit differently but they're just they're just thrown away and it's just it's just really flat it surprised me yeah um because I remember actually kind of liking the direction for, for Saved, but here it's just... And that's the thing. Yes, some of it could come down to a budget, and it might be a little unfair of me to say, but directors have done more with less. Yeah. So... Even... The, even and this isn't even something that I notice very often, but even the production design was a little hmm. boring. The whole, the whole movie looks gray to me when I think yeah. back on it. It seems... Uh, and perhaps that is on purpose, because it's, it takes place in this small town... Uh, indeterminate location because we can't figure it out. Yeah. Um, but uh, <laughs> not. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a minute. Maybe. But, so um, maybe it's that. Maybe it was. It could be. But then at the same time, is our is our main character? Is he still part of that? Because he doesn't seem to stand out in terms of the direction, right. the art direction, anyway. And, that. and then one of the first scenes when we see him in the movie, he's like supposed to be in the room that's like their journalism, or yeah. wherever they have their newspaper, and on on the wall behind him there's just there's like a big whiteboard with just different words that have vague things to do with writing yeah stuck up on the wall and it seems like they're just the most cursory thought towards well what would they have in a room about writing well let's just write some stuff about writing and yeah. tape it to the wall and it's and you look at know. that and it's just like are they never going to use that whiteboard because <laughs> yeah. in theory they could just write some stuff up there but i guess they'd rather tape these terms up there that sounds weird it's just it, it. It's probably thrown together. That's that's what I would say about yeah. it. It's not. It, it's probably less that there was just a really bad art director, and more that they were just like, we just need to put something together. Let's just put something together, and they just they just throw it together. Yeah. You know. 
So, and again, this this can be budget constraints, but you know, yeah. I don't think we as the viewers have to forgive all budget constraints in a movie or all all uh, problems with a movie due to budget constraints, right? Um, and that's the thing. Like, if it was all if it was only ever about the budget, then that means every movie with a with a high budget would be good, right? Which is not the case. Twenty twelve, um, yeah. So, um, so okay. Here's the thing for me to discuss. Anything further that I don't like would mean talking about the theme, which I'm kind of okay with. We'll be going about 40 minutes now, admittedly only 25 of it, actual film discussion, the rest of it all announcements. But but I'm kind of fine with moving into the theme because that's the only way I can talk about the writing, which was my big complaint with with the film. Um, It lacks... Okay, so I mentioned earlier that it was written... By Colfer when he was younger, and he's already young. So when he was younger he's, means like seventeen, eighteen. I think sixteen. I, I might have heard. Yeah, he's um, he's twenty two now, and the movie came out last year. So. Yeah, and so I hear that I heard that he wrote the script like while in high school, and I could have predicted that because it feels like that. It yeah. it lacks perspective. That is, that's not necessarily its worst crime, but it's the one that makes all the other ones possible. Um, because when I was in, you know, when I was in high school, I wrote stuff about poor me. Uh, you know, I'm sure you, I'm sure Josh, you did the same or just, yeah, I think uh, probably if any of you listeners out there have, have are writers at all, you probably wrote something in, uh, in high school or, or maybe in college about, you know, how nothing's right in the, yeah in the town where you are. Nobody understands you. Nobody gets you. Yeah. And, uh. You can have very high-minded reasons about that, and maybe it's because you think that people just gave up on their dreams, that everybody just gave up, yeah. didn't didn't try hard enough. I I think that's what this film thinks. But yeah, I mean, I know when I when I moved from Denver to Nixa, Missouri, population twelve thousand, pretty big actually for the area, but like, and and not far from Springfield, Missouri, which was a major city. Um, but man, I, I moved there and the the claws came out. I was very judgmental of a lot of those people um, and just really thought like, oh man, these people are never going to leave here. Not like me, buddy. <laughs> and admittedly, I did leave and went to Chicago and I'm pretty awesome. But, um, <laughs> and, and here's the other thing. I do know some, I do know a fair, fair number of people who didn't leave. They still live there. The question then becomes, why is that bad? And that's the question that the movie never asks. One of many. One of many is because Carson cannot wait to leave. Mm -hmm. And that is viewed as good. These other characters are probably going to stick around and that is viewed as bad. And that's that's the thing because anything Carson does is good. And so... This this decision, which I would say is neutral at worst, uh, is viewed as good or bad, depending on which which way you go. And yeah. so, um, and I think I think we should say again. I think the movie thinks that he's saying that that's because everybody else gave up on their dreams. Like right. everyone who stays there gave up on their dreams. But that is a very uh, <laughs> that is a very simplistic view of. Uh, how lives change. I mean, we just two weeks or two shows ago talked about it's a wonderful life. Like, yeah. would you say that George Bailey's just a man who gave up on his dreams and who 
who just let life walk all over him because he didn't try hard enough. That's that's what Chris Colfer or that's what uh, Carson Phillips would have said to his face probably. Yeah, and that's what some, and I'm sure that's what uh, not I'm sure I know that's what some people actually think about the film. Yeah, um, and because there is a. Okay, and I guess not, here's where we here's where we're getting into the some of the themes is there are certain things in certain in certain cultures, and I don't even mean American culture. I mean like Los Angeles culture or Midwest or Midwestern culture. Like there are a lot of different subcultures within the U.S. Uh, and one of the things is the, one of the things about like I'd say Los Angeles culture, um, Hollywood culture is that. Small towns in the Midwest are they're small. They're small towns because they're full of small-minded people mm-hmm. who don't want to go anywhere. They don't want to take risks. They would hate to move to a city because they're scared of all the you know all the minorities and stuff like that. Is <laughs> that is what is assumed, and thus those people they gave up already. So they're not. They don't even deserve. They don't deserve to be treated well. They gave up. They're small-minded, and they are less than. They are less than the people who have chosen to leave those small towns, go to New York, Los Angeles, Chicago, the places that quote unquote matter. Uh, and so, if the, if Carson, if that is his goal, and these people are getting in his way as he sees it, then he is fully justified in doing anything to them and treating them however he wants. And it, and throughout the film, I wrote a, uh, I wrote a number of things here and I put them in one horrible monologue. So one of the early shots of the film is him walking through the halls and, uh, it's, it's crowded and he's having a hard time getting through and they, Hey, watch out. Everyone's going one way. He's going the other. <laughs> swimming upstream buddy that's symbolism it sure is but while he's going through he uh he says cattle 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 he was referring to these people as cattle because there's a bunch of them going in a direction that is inconvenient to him and we are meant to view this as funny and endearing (laughs) that's the thing that and i i I don't want to distract too much from exactly where from where you're going now because I I want you to complete that point. But that that is one of the things I do not understand about this movie is that we are meant to see this character as likable. He he just seems so terrible to everyone all the time. Yeah, so self absorbed, so self obsessed, uh, with no perspective about the rest of the world. Yeah, and uh, and that we're meant. To, you know, we, we've said a lot already about why he's like this, but just the idea that we're supposed to like this character—I I don't even understand how anyone, how anyone involved in this production could look at look at the words on this page and say this is your hero. He's like yeah. this, and he's like this the whole movie. Like, yeah. I, I feel like you go with it for the first hour hour or so because you're thinking, all right, well, you know, he's a he's a kid. He's going to learn that he has to be a little more. Uh, respectful to other people that there's more to life than than what he thinks um but no that's that's what he's like the whole movie he's, yeah. he's just gonna stay that way he does not change no and when he is killed abruptly it's almost like it's set in stone now <laughs> like the film does not condemn his attitudes again not condemning him but condemning his attitudes the way he treats people instead it chooses to i would venture to say martyr him yeah um and so 
So the cattle thing, that's one. Uh, when he goes in front of the uh, auditorium during an assembly to try to recruit people for his uh, literary magazine, he, sa- he starts with, Attention future farmers and inmates. Now, first off, what, what's wrong with being a farmer? Yeah, exactly. There, there's, it's bad enough to, just on the surface, because on the surface you think, oh, he's, he's being so, uh, so demeaning to all these people. And then when you think about it, you're like, all right, farmers and inmates, that's the same thing in his mind? Right. Like, well, neither one of them are going to be uh, particularly cosmopolitan in New York, so really, what's the point? They might as well. Either way, hey, you know what? They're trapped. That's mm-hmm. the way I look at it. Uh, and then he proceeds to further ingratiate himself to the crowd by saying, I doubt any of you can read, let alone write, but... And then he goes on to talk about the literary magazine. Uh, and this is, like, this is how he approaches people. Like, he he needs something from people. And this is what he thinks of to mm-hmm. do. And And I'll read something in a moment, but... He clearly has a chip on his shoulder regarding the community, and he probably um, – here's the thing. It is assumed and it is referenced that he has been poked and prodded and one could say bullied uh, and that now he has such an attitude towards everybody else. He knows that they're not going to give him what he wants and what he needs, so what's the point in being civil? Okay, I don't agree with that line of logic, but – that seems to be what the film is saying. The problem, structurally, is that we never see that. We never see him being po- poked and prodded. We never see him being bullied. We only ever see him being horrible to everybody else. Even in his first interactions that we see with him with other students, in the, you, you can put a five-minute montage of people being mean to him sure. in there. How hard would that be? That's not in there. All you see is him being rude to other people um, because we assume that they're worse than he is. Like the first real scene I think we see him with other characters is, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's one where he's sitting talking with the other writers for the school newspaper mm-hmm. and he's he's yelling at all of them because they haven't done what he's wanted them to do. Yeah. And granted, they're, they're not very, they're, they're not the most likable characters either. Right. But uh, <laughs> when you start out also with his, his monologue about how bad they all are, I, I think to myself, like, if I was in this group, I would only be here because I was stuck for some reason, and if I had any uh, any recourse to just leave, of course I would have left. So, like, anybody who's there, you assume either has to be there or just doesn't care at all because of the way he talks to them. And I'd probably be just as bad as these other people was if I was, if I was there. And also, by the way, here's a slight side note. This is going to sound weird. But, uh, and this this doesn't have much to do with the theme. It's more just a flaw of writing. You know, there are some times when you watch a comedy and you can see that they're kind of bending a little bit for a punchline. And uh, there's a scene where he says, okay, so-and-so, how about the weather report? And this uh, girl has her headphones in. She takes them out, looks outside and says, it's cloudy. And she says it with a very deadpan face. And it's supposed to be funny. Like, oh, that's, that's funny. Uh, I worked on high school newspapers. You don't do a weather report. <laughs> They're released once a month, once there's, a week, maybe. Not a, not likely, though. Yeah, there, there's so many things that, and we, we don't even have time to go into all the things that just don't make sense. But e- even worse than that to me with the newspaper thing was the fact that they have a guy who is a writer on the newspaper who doesn't speak English. And right. 
Carson acts upset with him that he hasn't written anything for the newspaper. And then this same guy, he tries to con him into writing something for the literary magazine later. And it's like, no one in your... What was the idea? He's going to write it in his native language, which turns out to, well, yeah. the is ostensibly actually, Spanish. Yeah. The guy's... Uh, spoilers. The guy turns out to not be Spanish. He's like an exchange student, but in fact... Uh, the Spanish that he is speaking is just gibberish for the most part. He's actually from San Diego, but this actually, you know, gets him. He kind of gets him girls. He's and from gets San Diego, him. and for some reason, he's wherever this town is, somewhere away from his family, staying with a host family for some reason. Yeah. Th- this is a character they came up with so they could do the joke where he, everybody thinks he speaks another language, but he doesn't. Yeah, and, and you see the subtitle of the silly things he says. Yeah, and that that's the only reason this character is in there. He doesn't fit anywhere else. It doesn't make sense for him to be on the newspaper. It doesn't make sense for him to be blackmailed into being in the literary magazine. Yeah. Like, And then when he writes for the literary magazine, he's writing it in bad Spanish. And so it's like, why what, would anybody want that in yeah, their magazine? What, what, where is that supposed to go? Is that for the people who, who speak Spanish from the school? Which doesn't seem to be anyone else. Yeah. Um, and if there is anyone who else understands it, then it would clearly not make any sense. And if the main character knows that he doesn't speak actual Spanish, why would you have him write things in yeah. his gibberish Spanish? Yeah. It's just Maybe blackmail him into like seducing or convincing the various female students that are attracted to him into writing for the magazine. It takes 10 seconds of thinking about it to come up with a and better reason. And this is reason. the first time I thought about yeah, it, by exactly. the way. exactly. And uh, then, uh, I'm getting too much off track. <laughs> shouldn't. There's, there, there, there's so many things like that in the yeah. movie. And that's the thing. I can forgive quite a bit because of comedy. In fact, a companion film, I feel like I'll be forgiving quite a bit of yeah. silly things. But, you know, it's all about the way, it's all about construction, it's all about execution, and... And suddenly, I'm not even questioning things. It's only way after the fact. I'm like, hey, wait a second. Um, but yeah, and so so the way in which he just, just the film just assumes that, we, that because of who Carson is, and again, because it fits the narrative of if you're a smart, independent person living in one of these small towns, you will be bullied. Look, we all know it. We all know it. So we don't even need to show it. I didn't even I didn't even mean to rhyme there. I'm sorry. But like and just it just plays on that assumption, on that narrative uh, and thus never earns what it what, by the way, it desperately needs to earn. Yeah, because we need a reason to be on this character's side. And this movie gives us nothing unless (laughs) unless you're already a fan of Chris Colfer. Yeah. Or maybe if there's some. Because there's a few things early on where he sort of espouses his ideas about the world. Um, he has something very dismissive and negative to say about those who believe in, believe in creationism. Yeah. Um, and if you're on his side in that way, maybe maybe you'll jump on because of that. But yeah. uh, there's very little that he gives you to like about him. Yeah, and let's let's go to that creationism a little bit. Now, I recognize that because I am a, a Christian, I believe that there is a God who created uh, the, the universe, um, however that might be. Um, maybe it, maybe it's uh, it could be argued that I'm uh, biased and that I feel personally offended. It's, it's not that, really. Uh, there's a scene where, um, although it, maybe it is, I don't know. Maybe I'm just... Uh, aware of it because I'm well, not just buying it hook, line, and sinker. Even if you were, I don't think you would do what the film does, does what you're about to tell right. us. So, um, 
you know, in an early montage showing how this guy kind of, you know, plays by his own rules and stuff, there's, uh, uh, he's getting his, uh, he's getting a paperback, an essay back that he wrote, uh, and he got like a C. He's like, how is this a C? That's clearly an A paper. And then the, the teacher says, you know, Carson, the, the point was to write an essay about, you know, arguing in favor of either evolution or creationism. And he says, right, I wrote an article about how, uh, Evolution is proven by the fact that we no longer want to kill people that believe believe in creationism. And then the girl in front of in front of him, who of course is cast to look like an absolute dope with crossed eyes, says, "I believe in creationism." And he says, "I rest my case." And it's like the case being that these people deserve to die. Now, of course, he's not actually saying that; he's being sarcastic. But how could anybody write that into an essay and expect to get an A? But th- but that's the thing; he expects people to just. And, of course, it's meant to be a comedic conceit, of course. Yeah. Uh, and I, I keep saying, of course, because I'm trying to understand what the film is trying to do. Mm-hmm. But, um, but yeah, it's well, like we need proof that he's a good writer. And we need proof that he is that he understands what it is he's trying he's supposed to be doing for a particular assignment or whatever. Uh, so on top of everything, he also looks kind of incompetent uh, at the things that he apparently excels at. Mm-hmm. Um that's all and and just picking on this person again who does not believe what he believes um and thus he in the film will just say this person is borderline retarded that's the only way yeah um everybody is except for carson and so i will uh quote something real quick um there's a scene where the uh, the character's uh, are upset with him because he took a stand against his principal uh, who wants, you know, who the school board or, what, or whatever want to take, you know, want to keep people from wearing like shirts with like designs on them and like having hats with the same thing. And he uh, he says, this is censorship. It's you pushing your conservative agenda and blah, blah, blah. Uh, and then the principal, petty as ever, uh, says, you know, you know what? Because of your outburst, I'm going to remove all these privileges for like off-campus activities or something right when they're gonna plan prom (laughs) right and so um and so all the students are mad at him and then and he's saying like i didn't do it just for me i did it for all of us norma ray um (laughs) he didn't say that that last part's me but uh and so he then in this burst of self uh, of of righteousness that I would venture to say is self-righteousness. He says, the minute you guys walked onto this campus, you were labeled as high school royalty and you would rather maintain that label than heaven forbid, stand up for yourselves. But high school ends. And for your sakes, I hope you guys aren't the walking cliches. Everyone thinks you are because life is going to walk all over you. That's a thing. He yells and then he leaves. And, and there's just so many, there's so many problems with this. One is that, and then, uh, elsewhere uh, he tells these same people like I've been poked and prodded like and it's just like first off he just he so deals and he deals in such generalities one of them is that like people like me are going to get bullied so I don't even need to show it and the other is that like oh uh, this guy's a jock she's a cheerleader he's uh, the theater guy's gay and the you know all this stuff over here like it's just he just deals in such boring cliches that I don't think are even true anymore. Like I've, yeah. I've been going to, I've been, I went to public high school. I went to two of them. 
uh, one in Denver, one in Missouri. And I, yes, there were football players. Yes, there were cheerleaders. But there was, but the cheerleaders did not walk down the hall like they owned the place. Nor did any of the uh, football players or high school players. And there were, and it, by the way, undoubtedly, football was like incredibly important but basketball was and by the way all of the theater productions that i was involved in they were all you know packed houses by staff and and parents but also like other students and stuff like our schools just sort of kind of got behind whatever and there was no king of the school or queen of the school even if they were prom king or prom queen like it didn't it wasn't like that it couldn't be broken down like that and for a movie in 2012 to put it out there like yes this is still the case obviously and then condemn that like it's the ultimate straw man thing well yeah that's that's what bothers me the most about it is i think that in one of the next lines after after carson storms out one of the characters says like are we cliches and i i think i turned to you and said of course you were they were written as cliches right. like you can't write these characters that are horrible cliches and then have your main character yell at them for being cliches yes yeah. oh but sure you can well, because you can. this is how because the only one who's not cliche is carson man yeah. he gets it sir <laughs> and that's the thing so those the two scenes i talked about where he's blackmailing them uh, and then he's yelling at them and they and they're upset with him that, along with another scene in which the head cheerleader comes to him and, uh, you know, talks to him about uh, about prom and he makes fun of her. And then she says, you know, and in, in a scene that I, I had such high hopes for. Yeah. She says, you know, you're you're lucky. You're going to go on. You're going to leave here. You're going to be a great writer. And by the way, I don't like the way it's written because it just assumes that like she knows she knows how mediocre she is um and she knows that he's pretty much the best one yeah. but uh putting that aside she shows at least depth of character in the sense that she's not just a horrible person in that moment um and so she's like you're gonna go on and get out of here you're gonna be a big writer everything's gonna be fine and i'm just gonna be stuck here so why don't you let me have fun with these few with these few years because it might be my last chance and you think, oh, here we go. He, you know, she's making a human appeal to him, one that he probably because he always and and making it to him on his level mm-hmm. because he always assumed I'm going to leave, they're going to stay. So she ad- ad- acknowledging that fact is meeting him where he is, and so you think, here we go. I hated this character before, but maybe, maybe there's room for an arc. There was not because he then lectures her about why can't you leave? Why can't you go and be a ballerina? You know, somebody has to be the Nobel prize winning writers. Somebody has to be the ballerinas, which by the way is a, 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 uh, an idea that I like this idea of like people assume they can't be these things. But if everybody thought that nobody would certainly know nobody would be these things. Like Mm -hmm. you do need to have ambitions. You do need to have ideals and dreams. Like I'm, I'm fine with that logic, but in this scene where she's making a human appeal to him, he instead lectures her, essentially saying, as he always is saying, be more like me. Yeah. And then she even leaves and he says, you know, I can't be the only one to realize this. Yeah. And he says it, of course, to himself because he is the only one to realize this. And it's just, and that's the problem. And so the film provides him with opportunities for redemption and to recognize that other people matter and that they have feelings. He's not the only one with feelings. 
Um, and he and it just keeps squandering it. And then the film treats that like it's a good thing, like it's all right. That like, yeah, man, he's got a point. And then ultimately, and I'll I'll use this to, and we'll move into uh, a number of uh, Bible verses. But uh, and then we'll get into the, the companion film. He says something I find fascinating, which is, in in a moment of an intense self pity. He says, why is it that some people are selfish by nature and others have to be selfish just to survive? That astounds me uh, because selfishness in general is probably a bad thing. By probably, I mean absolutely. I don't know why I said probably. I don't know why I felt the need to uh, qualify, <laughs> qualify it there. But, uh, but being selfish is, is bad. But what he's basically saying is they're being selfish by nature. It's who they are. But me, hey, this is what choice do I have? I'm forced to be selfish in this situation to get by. Yeah, I'm. They're bad in the same way that I'm bad, but I'm forced by their badness to be like that. Mm. Hey, it's it's not my fault that I'm like this. It's their fault. Like it's it's anything ba- like the one thing bad about him. He d- he does seem to acknowledge that he is selfish. The one bad thing about him is totally not his fault and totally understandable. Yeah. And it's just. And I mean, it's that. And by the way, I can't think of a more high school line than that. Yeah. You know, why is everybody against me? Why can't people be more like me? Why am I? Why am I an outcast? Why? You know, why is it different for everyone? Why is everyone else different? It's just it's just this constant like. And look, in high school, a lot of us felt alone, I'm sure. Even Mm -hmm. the people that seemed quite popular. I have no doubt of that. Yeah. Um and we all I'm sure we all felt like other people had it worked out to a certain extent and we didn't or vice versa we felt nobody else had it worked out and we did one way or the other we felt like we were separate from other people Um, but just and just the fact that this film just feels so high even the fact it wasn't directed by a high schooler but it it kind of feels that way like it's just stuck in that mindset yeah and it's it's such a it's such a undeveloped young person idea to think to think again that you're totally alone but not only that but you're you're totally like you're totally right like yeah you can't give in on on what you think like that's that would be not being true to yourself not being like not being yourself and like any any uh and this is a thing that unfortunately I feel like a lot of people uh, don't grow out of in some ways. Um, the idea that if if you admit that you're wrong on anything or if you try to see something else from somebody's perspective instead of condemning them for why it seems wrong from your perspective, then that that's admitting some kind of weakness or like that's admitting that... Uh, you know that that's admitting a flaw, and you can't let anyone right. see that you have any flaws. And uh, that's something that I think is is just totally magnified in high school when you have all these people who are just bouncing against each other, trying to be, uh, I don't know, trying to win popularity contests and such. Yeah. And uh, it's just, and it's just frustrating way, to see a film that that's that has that kind of state of mind still. Oh yeah. It has it, it and it champions is, it. It's no championing an, and championing an idea that people should grow out of. Yeah, and and the fact that it treats this idea as inspirational. Okay, real quick side note. 
All right, so listeners of Battleship Pretension know that I recently read a book called The Fountainhead. All right, and it was, it was uh, written by Ayn Rand, who is kind of a kind of an idol in certain conservative circles, and she had a, a, a philosophy called objectivism, which is basically just what what Josh described, which is. <laughs> If you're right, never compromise about anything, which I understand that to a certain extent, but basically just it's all about you all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have a society of people who are doing what's right for them, then eventually they will interact with each other. Uh, but the, there's never any reason to say the word thank you. The words thank you. Yeah. It's, it's just fascinating. <laughs> um, and what and what gets me and something you and I because because I had read it and you are reading it now. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just fascinated us so much in conversation as we said, you know, because we were talking about struck by lightning. It's like, you know, it's kind of weird how similar Ayn Rand and Chris Colfer are. I'm sure either one of them would be mortified at the <laughs> idea of that. And yet they're basically espousing the same thing. Yeah. I thought it was fascinating. Yeah. It's, it's, <laughs> I hope that if there is anyone out there who has read, uh, Ayn Rand. It's you, you may get a kick out of that in the same way that we do because yeah. it's it's fascinating that it's funny because I feel like those views I feel like are things that people from both sides should be able to agree are not good and yet are are in some ways championed on both sides. Yeah, and this is not to say that I. I don't throw out everything Ayn Rand says. I think, right? Uh, I think her. While I, for the most part, disagree with objectivism, I think her, her ideas are a little bit more developed than Chris Colfer's, which is understandable. Yeah. But um, uh, I, th- I think the problems that I have with with her stuff are mainly on uh, how she approaches morality and how she approaches. Right. Uh, sociology, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and I think, and that's, that's again, something that's fascinating that th- those two views would kind of meet again on the other side. Yeah. It's, yeah, it, it really is an interesting thing. And by the way, the, the scene that I described between Carson and the uh, head cheerleader, there's an exact mirror of that in the fountainhead later in the book, you probably haven't gotten there between the hero and this other character who has done nothing but compromise the whole time. And is just a sad sack. It is fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. Uh, so I'm going to skip around. I've got a bunch, a bunch of, uh, Bible verses, but first I want to, we're going to skip to the next page here. Uh, there's a line, or rather a passage, from the Screwtape Letters, written by C.S. Lewis, that is all about the loss of perspective. It's all about, uh, you know, focusing focusing on yourself except, on, except in the ways that matter. Um, and so, for those that don't know Screwtape Letters, it is one demon write, writing to another demon about how best to bring down people. And so, that's the, that's the key. And so... Um, so I will uh, I'll I'll go ahead and read this passage and then we'll the next several will be uh, Josh. But um, okay, when two humans have lived together for many years, it usually happens that each one has tones of voice and expressions of face which are almost unendurably irritating to the other. Work on that. Bring fully into the consciousness of your patient that particular lift in his mother's eyebrows which he learned to dislike in the nursery, and let him know how much 
uh, and let him think how much he dislikes it. Let him assume that she knows how annoying it is and does it to annoy. If you know your job, he will not notice the immense probability, improbability of that assumption. Pardon me. Um, and of course, never let him suspect that he has tones and looks which similarly similarly annoy her. As he cannot see or hear himself, this is easily managed. Uh, that last line, as he cannot see or hear himself, this is easily managed. That is all about perspective. That's what we're talking yeah. about. Um, when you when you're like everybody, everybody sucks but me. Hmm. That that is it's astound, an astounding lack of perspective. And by the way, we all have it at some point. Um, and so Josh, not so much though. He's doing all right. I'm doing pretty great. Actually, I think he's got it worked um, out. And I think all of you who, who, uh, all of you out there, you, all you cattle out there, I just wish you <laughs> just get on board. Wish you just stand up for yourselves for once. I mean, he looks, you know, he's looking all, uh, all seventies today. He's clearly an independent spirit. I'm getting out of this world, Tyler. <laughs> uh, by what you mean, my apartment, it is rather oppressive. Well, so, Okay. So I think we're going to, we are indeed going to jump around here quite a bit. I, 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 I want to say real quick, just because that, this is just something else that I, that I thought of. <laughs> um, there are so many characters in, in other films where I, I feel like <laughs> there's so many great characters in other films who uh, Carson Phillips could, could take a, a listen to for a minute. And the, one of the first ones I think of is uh, Atticus Finch, who yeah. has a great speech about like, walking around in another man's shoes for a little while. Yeah. And um, when you think of where that character is, like he's, he's fighting against a town of people who want to execute a man because of prejudice. Yeah. And he's still able to, to, uh, to see, uh, to see things from those people's perspective. Mm-hmm. Like he's still willing to, or at be, least strive to, I don't right. know if he ever could, but he's, he acknowledges that, it might not be such a bad thing to see it from their point of view. Right. He doesn't stand up and call them cattle and call them future farmers and inmates. Yeah. Um, so, I don't know. That's just well, many I of thought them of. are probably present farmers. <laughs> Which is the worst thing you can be. Just the worst. Just next to inmates. Was there an... Was there an no, that was, okay. that was all. That yeah. Was. Okay. So, um, so, there's a number of Bible verses. I'll read a few, and then... Uh, I'll throw some to Josh. We're just going to read these in a pretty rapid succession before we get into the uh, the companion film, which we'll briefly touch on. So I'll read the first the first couple. Uh, these are uh, both from Proverbs. The first is Proverbs twenty nine verses twenty two and twenty three. An angry person stirs up conflict, and a hot tempered person commits many sins. Pride brings a person low, but the lowly in spirit gain honor. Okay. Fairly self-explanatory. It doesn't need a whole lot of uh, explanation. Uh, The next one is Proverbs 16, verses 18 and 19. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed than to share plunder with the proud. Um, Something that I'm sure the character of Carson would scoff at because it's in the Bible. Anyway, uh, moving on. (laughs) It's okay if I'm snide towards a fictional character, right? Um, (laughs) Well... I'm joking, of course, but, uh, okay. So I want to make sure that I end on a specific one from Romans here. Um, okay, well, we'll go with, we'll go with, uh, this one. Uh, I do find it interesting. Um, struck by lightning could almost have been preceded by this proverb, 
Proverbs 27, verse 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. <laughs> um, you know, you can think yourself better than everybody else in town because you're leaving it, except you don't. And in fact, now you're going to be buried there. Uh, and again, I don't mean to sound so smug, but like the the movie really does sum up that, uh, but views it as a, as a tragedy. And I guess in a way it is. Um, Isaiah 5, verse 21, woe to those who are wise in their own eyes. And then 1 Corinthians 3, verses 18 and 19. By the way, I'm going to read these little ones, and you're going to have that big one, if that's all right. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, verses 18 and 19. Do not deceive yourselves. If any of you think you are wise by the standards of this age, you should become fools so that you may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. Uh, And that especially has a lot to do with Carson, who regularly refers to himself as the smartest person in town. So, um, all right, uh, let's see. Okay, I'll hold off on that one. Okay, now, here's Romans 12, verse 16, and then we're going to comment a little bit here uh, from a personal place. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be proud, but be willing to associate with people of low position. Do not be conceited. Now, low position. Now, that can mean a lot of things. Uh, Probably the most obvious is to look at people that are in a low social position, people that don't have a great deal of money, people that uh, are, you know, homeless, people that are drug addicts. Like, it's it's easy to look at that and say that's what we're talking about. Um, It could mean any number of things. It could also, I think, mean people that we individually consider to be in low positions. Um, And that could mean morally. That could mean philosophically. Um, And so what I thought might be an interesting thing, because I don't want this to just turn into me and Josh bashing this movie for a lack of perspective. Um, I was going to briefly talk about the people that I consider i'm not right when i say this by the way but the people that to me i feel safest in judging the people that i tend to have no sympathy for um you know you mentioned in to kill a mockingbird atticus finch it'd be very easy to, for him to look at the people of that town and li- and literally say i have no sympathy for these people i will never ever be like them and i don't want to be so why would i even imagine i don't even want to imagine what it would be like to be like them yeah um so there's a few I'll, I'll do two serious ones and then one that's a joke but not at all so the first one and I apologize to our atheist listeners um, a very specific type of atheist um, and it's not people like my co-host David who is merely an atheist that's all and I'd say most of the listeners to this show because a they're listening to this show um and b they have written in and been incredibly encouraging but there is a specific type of atheist that i would venture to say is the bill maher type of atheist snide condescending superior and just no matter what you say is just going to what I often say it in Battleship Pretension, he's always looking, he's always peering over a pair of glasses that he's not wearing <laughs> because he's just giving you that look of like, I am so much better and smarter than you, and I always will be. I'm the best one in the room. Um, and there's something, 
And because I do think that that everybody has faith in something, whether they acknowledge it or not. Um, and for somebody like a Bill Maher, who I think officially considers himself agnostic, but for all practical purposes is basically an atheist. Mm. Um, for him to act so haughty, to use a biblical term, and and just so self-righteous and pleased with himself, it just bothers me so much. And I look at that and I just have nothing but disdain. That's wrong of me to do, by the way. Um, but that that's something I tend to I tend to do. Um, another group is people. Now this this often winds up being fellow Christians, but people in general who do not understand art. And I don't mean people who don't analyze art. I mean people who do not understand what the function that art can serve in society and in a person's life. That can be literature. It can be film. It can be. Uh, music it can be you know visual art it can be anything but people who just feel as though it is completely disposable um i i i do not understand how anybody could think that uh i've been faced with a fair amount and invariably i usually wind up having an attitude towards those people that is not unlike carson's attitude towards his fellow students um the last one, maybe a slight offshoot of the, the second one, is people who talk during movies. <laughs> now, okay, that seems like a joke, and it kind of is, but also not, because of what I consider to be ultimately people who are choosing themselves and whatever it is they feel like they want to do, whether it be check their phone, talk during a movie. It's like, oh, it's more important that I say whatever it is I need to say to the person next to me or whatever than everybody in the theater being able to hear What's ha- what they paid to hear, by the way, um, and also just in general having a just a just that goes into the second category. Just clearly not valuing the experience of watching art on the screen uh, in favor of what your dumb friend is texting you. You know what I mean? Um, and so that bothers me a lot. I have, I mean, there are moments I've talked about on you know on the show. I've yelled at people for doing it uh i have i i don't understand it at all but at the same time i'm sure there are things that i don't respect in general and probably that comes through in the way i approach it and other people are probably like sports i'd say sports in general um (laughs) i was about to say maybe sports yeah but uh but even then you know what actually as time has gone on as i've gotten older and like gone to like some pretty awesome baseball games it's like i get it i get it because i'm on my feet clapping and i didn't make that was not a conscious decision like i understand um but nonetheless like it's these people are these people matter these people are loved by god they just aren't me that's their that's their biggest crime against me is that they're not me and that's not really a crime at all Mm -hmm. so that's mine uh josh what do you what do you got for me well, uh, my as you were describing the type of people that that you that it's just hard to like, like people who are just um, just seem irredeemable, seem like there's nothing right about them. I, Yankees fans is the first thing I can think. Fair of. enough. That's, that's, All right, that's a part of sports I don't understand. <laughs> All right, um, I'm just kidding. I'm sure there are nice Yankees fans. I just you know, it seems who are the fans that whip, like bat- that whip batteries? Is that Red Sox? Uh, maybe. Okay, I think that's I think it's Boston where I hear like things being thrown at people that like will hurt them. <laughs> well, I can't complain. That that's not the sort of 
I just don't like the Yankees. How can okay. you like the Yankees? I just don't get it. Of course, you're a Phillies fan. Yeah, I know. See, they're terrible people. So it's, <laughs> I can't. I can't say like I, I. I don't like fans for whipping batteries because then I have to say like, well, then I probably don't have to like. Can't like fans that have drunken brawls for no reason. Yeah. Um, As a celebration, they will beat the hell out of each other. Yeah, they just gotta they gotta destroy something. Um. So that that of course is a, is a joke answer. I'm. Uh, but uh, I don't know. I I feel like the. The sort of things I feel like are hardest to. Some of the things I feel like are hardest to excuse are are people who are. I honestly think a lot of politicians because I think of them as people who are in in powerful positions. Not and not all politicians, obviously, but there are some who are obviously in powerful positions and are using those positions to do bad things for society Mm -hmm. to convince everyone that they are doing good things to society and do both of those things through, you know, deceit or, or maybe sheer ignorance, which I don't know which is worse. And again, that is not all politicians by a long shot, but there are some like that. Mm -hmm. And I think one politician who is like that can be a lot more dangerous than even, uh, you know, uh, a guy who might stab you on the street. Hmm. So I, I don't know. That's that's the sort of thing when I, I just those are the people that I am most tempted, I think, to hate. And um, <laughs> clearly, hate is not right. Right. Hate is not okay. But you know, what? I'm glad you used the word because I think I've been kind of flitting around it a little bit, and that is what we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, we we feel that way about people sometimes, and we have to stop ourselves and say, like, this is not. This is not an acceptable way to think of anyone. Right. Um, n- no, regardless of whether you know about about these types of people, both you and I have legitimate reasons that these people are are problems or can be destructive or uh, you know there's lots of lots of bad things we can come up with, but none of that excuses hate. Mm-hmm. And um, so I think you know that's when we need to try and give ourselves some perspective and say like we don't. We don't know what these people's lives are. We don't know why they do what they do. Um, uh, we don't know what's for store in them in the fe- for them in the future. I think that's one thing we we really need to consider more because the the person who is the uh, the person who's the crooked senator from uh, f- uh, Yankees fan sitting in a theater texting. <laughs> That atheist, guy, <laughs> but right. not that type of atheist. <laughs> Texting Bill Maher, <laughs> yeah, to, and being like, "Aren't Christians stupid?" <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but you know, it's some somebody who who might be all of our things rolled into one could be could be something great, right? One day, e- even if he if he, even if he doesn't stop being all of those things, you know. Yeah, and which actually brings us to um, Luke nineteen verses one through ten, which is the big passage, which is all you, buddy. Um, and that's, I'll just have you read it and then we'll, uh, we'll talk about it. And I'm sure a lot of listeners have heard this already, but it's worth talking about. Yeah. All right, here we go. This is, like you said, Luke 19, 1 through 10. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. 
But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is the son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Okay. So, uh, I'm sure at this point any number of you have, have heard this, and you probably have heard what a tax collector was, because at this point... Uh, the term doesn't have a great deal of, uh, of meaning, um, but what it meant at the time was during Roman occupation, um, there were, you know, Jews were taxed, and then there were the Jews who worked for Rome to collect taxes within the Jewish community, and they would often ask for, I believe they would require more, and they would skim a lot off the yeah, top. Yeah, they would take a lot off the top. So they, they, were, they were known to be crooked. Yeah. Uh, they were crooked and by the way kind of traitors to their own people yeah so they're they're not good people they're they're these politicians you're talking <laughs> yeah about. exactly uh, that's actually one of the people that i thought of when i was looking thinking for a biblical comparison to that yeah. and so so here we have somebody that it just i mean is is a traitor to his people totally corrupt and by the way is being immensely rewarded he's very wealthy <laughs> and so i mean you in in modern times if you were to look at somebody like that you'd be furious um and to think that jesus would come to this person and say i want to hang out with this person it, it would just be inf- it would be infuriating not only, and here's the thing i'm sure some people would say like well it wouldn't be infuriating here's the thing if let's say we're talking about me let's let's go, let's bring up bill maher again if Jesus showed up and said, I want to go on real time with Bill Maher, I'd be like, no, you don't, don't. do it, Jesus. Don't do it. <laughs> he is not going to get anything you have to say, and he's just going to mock you. That's all he's going to do. Don't do it. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner's talk show. You know, like, that's basically what I'd be saying, you know, mm. and like, and that's. And as we see from this story, it's totally wrong. You know, Jesus, like, the the reason that he made a difference in so many people's lives, like the people that he directly talked to and touched, is because he he treated them the way nobody else treated them. And that's, and we are required to be Christ's ambassadors, so that means that's what we need to do. We need to recognize, we need to love people as Jesus loved them. Which seems almost impossible to me. I mean, I've had, here's the thing, I've had maybe one of the reasons why I have such a, uh, such a frustration with, with Bill Maher is that I've known comedians that are very similar to him, and they have been quite, quite rude to me. Uh, and it's, it's, so, it's very dehumanizing mm-hmm. to experience that and to basically be said that, like, oh, you, you know, it's just superstition. You're just superstitious. That's all you are. Like, it's rough to hear that. And yet, I'm supposed to love that person, forgive them. It doesn't mean I have to be, like, friends with them or anything like that, but it's certainly, I I can't hate them. I have to have sympathy for them. I have to know who they are and at least try to understand them, you know, understand what it is to walk in their shoes. Mm. Um, And so I'll... uh, Let's see. I was going I might say I was going to save this towards the end. But I think I'll uh 
I think I'll say it now. So this is C.S. Lewis, also from the Screwtape Letters. He says, We must picture hell as a state where everyone is perpetually concerned about his own dignity and advancement, where everyone has a grievance, and where everyone lives with the deadly serious passions of envy, self-importance, and resentment. Now, the thing is this. that It would be easy to look at that and say, well, that's, that's Carson. Carson is absolutely like that. And, be, and it would be easy to just be like, ah, he's so, so very wrong. Hell will be filled with people like Carson. But really, if we're being honest with ourselves, at some point, we're all like Carson. Um, you know, we try not to be, but at some point it happens. And, you know, we feel self-important. Sometimes we're envious of other people. We resent other people. We have grievances with them. And that's what hell is. It's just that perpetual, I believe in, in The Great Divorce, C.S. Lewis talks about, is just this grumble, that we just grumble towards each other. And then as time goes on, uh, and we, you know, and we wind up in hell, and time goes on. Our identities disappear, and the only thing left is that grumble, just that constant. Just, it's not torturous, except it is. Mm. You know, it's it's the 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 water torture. It's the yeah. one drop. You know, as opposed to just getting your head cut off or something. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so I wanted. I was going to save that towards the end, but I wanted to bring it up now because it's something that we are all susceptible to. And then there is one last. Bible passage, which I will save towards the end. So, the companion film that I picked was picked for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that it is so, so similar to Struck by Lightning. Plot-wise, yeah. It's in, it's crazy. Uh, it was, it, I'm talking about Orange County, uh, which was released in 2002. It was directed by Jake Kasdan, son of Lawrence Kasdan, and the director of uh, a number of films, one of which is a movie called Zero Effect, which I love. It's got Bill Pullman and Ben Stiller. It came out in, I think, 97, 98. Nobody knows about it. I went and saw it, reviewed it for my school paper. Hey. And uh, thought it was amazing. If you can see it, see it. But anyway, so it was directed by Jake Kazan. It was written by Mike White, who's written a number of things, uh, including School of Rock. And it stars Colin Hanks, Jack Black, Skylar Fisk, Catherine O'Hara, John Lithgow, Lily Tomlin, Harold Ramis, Kevin Klein, Chevy, Ch- Chevy Chase is is solid cast. Not unlike Struck by Lightning, it's mm-hmm. a solid cast. And the basic story of that, since you summarized the first, I'll just summarize this. Uh, Colin Hanks plays this uh, surfer guy in Orange County who one of his friends dies in a surfing accident, and that sort of creates in him, along with and it creates in him kind of this sense of like, oh, something's it gives him pause, I guess you could say. And while he is pausing one day at the beach, he runs across this book written by uh, a guy who is currently a professor at Stanford, and he reads the book and finds it amazing and decides he wants to be a writer. And he has to go to Stanford to study with this professor. That's what he needs to do. Uh, and as he tries to do that, uh, he finds that his family and the, the community around him in general, which does not seem to be particularly artistically minded, but in fact pretty surfacy and not very analytical um, or insightful, uh, he decides, like, I got to get out of here and I need to go and do that. Um, and it's just about his misadventures trying to get into Stanford because there's been a mix up by, incidentally, a crazy guidance counselor. <laughs> um, and, uh, and he was not accepted, and so he tries to, uh, 
you know, convince various members of the of the Stanford staff that he should be a part of it and that sort of thing. So, uh, and incidentally, his parents are divorced. His mom is a boozy, pill popping wreck, and his dad is kind of disconnected and that sort of thing. And so, it really not plot for not plot point for plot point, but as far as general setup and the character's relationship to the world around him and then his plans for the future it's very similar it's to struck very by lightning similar yeah and he he even has a lot of the same attitudes like i i this is not the place where i belong like he has to to a degree that attitude of i'm better than this place yeah um and yet i feel like even though they're so similar i feel like this movie zigs everywhere that struck by lightning zags yeah and part of it is, you know, it's some of it, it might just be casting. Colin Hanks, I think, is a very likable actor, mm-hmm. and he does likable things with the character. And this is much more of a, I think there's a much broader comedy. And Mike White is a much better writer than Chris yeah. Colfer. Um, so, you know, all the elements are there for it to be a better film. But also, Jake Kasdan is a director. He, you know, we mentioned how lifeless uh, Brian Danley's direction was. Uh, Jake Kasdan, like he frequently will move to a subjective camera. Like he'll he'll use like zooms and cuts, like to create a a, a pace. He uses and, a lot of movement too. Is yeah. one thing I noticed. Like there's a lot of scenes where camera camera's moving past the actor as the action is happening. Yeah, which is and it just and it just feels very alive. It feels like things are happening. Mm-hmm. There there really aren't any dead spots, even yeah. when it seems like there could be. Um, and I just really, and it's also just very funny. I laughed out loud several times. Um, and, uh, and, but yeah, that main character, he's so much more likable because he does have a fair amount of affection for people, but he also feels like they're the ones in some way keeping him down. They're all, he says at some point, like, I feel like they're all conspiring to keep me from achieving what I want to achieve, which sounds very Carson-esque. Yeah, it does. But then the major difference, some major differences being, I believe right after that is when uh, his girlfriend kind of points out to him how that's not true and how even though these people aren't, they're not exactly like him, maybe they don't understand him all the time, they've been nothing but, they've done nothing but try to help him. Um, uh which is something that someone needs to say to Carson and never does. Um, and then there's there's so many other things that I feel like are are models for the way it's supposed to be done. Like mm-hmm. you were talking before about how we never see anything to convince us that uh, uh, Carson is any kind of good writer. In the first five minutes of uh, of Orange County, when he starts giving the story about him wanting to become a writer, he talks about everyone he's giving the script the, his uh, writing to, and that. Mm-hmm. Uh, the good things that people say about it, how a bunch of people are impressed by it. So, but we, that he also doesn't feel like they're impressed by it. But he also feels like, well, it's my girlfriend yeah. who's really positive, my English teacher who might be illiterate. Right, right. My, he he doesn't necessarily know enough, but it, but there's there's a suggestion that he he knows yeah. what he's doing at least. Um, yeah, that's true. You know, I hadn't really thought about that. I I, th- I hadn't thought about it to that extent. That like the only person saying that Carson's a good writer is Carson. Mm-hmm. So I don't think anybody ever actually says that. Yeah, no. Um, and then um, we're just supposed to, we're meant to take it for granted, right? But also then just 
the character of uh, of uh, Sean Kyle Hanks' character is just more likable in general than <clears throat> than uh, Carson is. We the first scenes we see him, he's not yelling at his mom because she's not up, because you know, he doesn't approve of her lifestyle or something like yeah. that. And whereas he has problems with all of these people, he still has an affection for them, like you said. And what's more, but the thing is, there are a couple scenes where he does tell off these people. There's right. a, there's a scene where his brother, who really is a screw up, he's played mm-hmm. by Jack Black, and he he means well, but all he does is make things worse. Mm-hmm. And there's a scene, and it's played so well by Colin Hanks, and they don't push it too hard, where he just says like, because at some point his brother talks about how he's going to start this T-shirt company and stuff. <laughs> That's one and, of his big dreams. Yeah, and so Colin Hanks just says like. Uh, you know, all you do is mess things up. How how do you think you're ever going to start a t-shirt company? You can't even dress yourself. Yeah, and it's just like man, like it it cuts. Yeah, I mean it cuts to the core of a character that pre that by the way we have seen mostly as a joke of a person in general. Mm-hmm. But you see that he's he does have feelings and that hurt. Yeah, and we recognize that that was rough. Even though by the way, the character Lance, the brother, has just done a a pretty awful thing and was really made things. <laughs> harder to do but, yeah. and yet somehow that doesn't warrant this kind of disdain right and and the and the the uh the film recognizes that that's the case and it 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 clearly is is showing us like sympathy for this character right um which is something that again that doesn't happen in struck by lightning he says things as mean if not meaner than that to lots of other, lots of people and they're meant they seem to be justified. Well, and in some of them, they're meant to be laugh lines. Yeah, they're meant to yeah. be like, ha ha, you got yeah. him. You got him. You got him, Carson. Yeah. Um, and then... You're uh, so great, Carson. <laughs> another key thing, I think, is that... Uh, and, and this is more of a, a filmmaking than a theme thing, but... Carson's always complaining about how everyone's holding him back and like how he... You know, how this whole town is such a problem for him. Well, the... I think the only thing that ever really happens to hold him back is that his mom, uh, like, throws away his acceptance letter from Northwestern. Yeah, which he needs he needs to like confirm and that sort of thing. In right. Order. So yeah, he is he does get accepted. Yeah. Um, but then somebody willfully tries to keep him away from that. Right. Um, but other than that, w- w- people are his idea that everyone is in his way we never see that actually happening right. in the film people and, are pretty content to leave him alone right and and for the bulk of the film he doesn't even know that his mom has taken this this letter from that it's almost the entire film yeah um and so so we don't ever see that happening meanwhile on the other hand in orange county we see thing after thing happens that yeah. whether it's in, unintentional intentional or not it's mostly unintentional right his family doesn't help him with things his his dad doesn't think it's important to be a writer so says that he's not going to help him get in his guidance counselor sends the wrong transcript to the college um his his brother burns down the admissions building at stanford yeah his mother becomes drunk and embarrasses him in front of potential uh people who might be able to help his chances of getting in there's constantly his girlfriend puts some pressure on him saying like you know, when you go away to Stanford, we're going to be apart. Is yeah. this a priority? Which, by the way, is a perfectly reasonable question. Right. But in that moment, it, it almost it's seems like... It's another thing that's holding him back. Yeah. And so, like, you know, and it's just... <laughs> it's just fascinating just how, how dissimilar these these things are. Um, and so, uh, we, we should probably move things along because we could just keep going. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, so eventually... 
uh, Sean in Orange County meets because he, he he's on the on the uh, Stanford campus and he meets the guy the the author of the book that changed his life. He's played by Kevin Klein in that in what I think is a really great performance. He's in it very briefly, but he he really knows how to play that character. Yeah, who's kind of vaguely amused by this weird little guy that's talking to him, but also understands like eh, I've got fans. Mm-hmm. You know, this is fine. Um, and so. What had, what had happened is Sean had written a, st- a short story called Orange County in which it's clear he's written about his life. Uh, he's never made it clear that it's about his life, but he's that's what he's done. And he sent a copy to this character, Marcus Skinner. And then as they're talking about it, Marcus says, he says at the be- he's talking about the story, and he says, at the beginning you think these people are doomed. This family's headed, heading for disaster. Then as you read on, you see that there exists beneath the surface these very real connections, these deep relationships. What I took from your story is this, that even in a world where people can be as superficial, it can be superficial and stupid and selfish, there's still hope. And that's basically the story of, of uh, Orange County. And then, by the way, they're, as, as things go on, um, uh, Sean realizes, oh, you know what? He's right. These people help make me who I am. Why would I immediately want to leave them? And you know what? They they do mean well. You know, maybe not his father, but even then, his father has a bit of an arc as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they do mean well. They do love me, and I, I've treated them like they're just a burden. And in some cases, they are. But that but that doesn't mean they need to be treated that way, especially if they're trying to do good. Yeah. And so. So he actually talks about, like, I'm not leaving. I'm not going to Stanford. I'm staying here amongst these people, you know, because they are so crucial to who I am and and to what I am trying to do. You know, you look at that, you know, he has a moment of really, like, looking at himself and looking at his goals. Compare that to Carson, who there's a scene – I did not write this down, but there's a scene where – where he's starting to he's he's reflecting on the literary magazine and and he's just feeling bad because the the everyone in the school doesn't like him and all that because of the the principal's uh, no off campus activities or whatever, um, and uh, and so in the narration he starts to think you know I've gotten so bogged down with self pity. And not unlike those other scenes, I'm like, all right, where are we going? Where are we headed with this? You know, and because it shows him like reading through the literary magazine, like for the first yeah. time. Previously, we see him looking at it and like crumbling up people's stories and stuff, the people that he's like blackmailing into this. Um, so he seems to look at their writing with disdain. But now we see him really looking through it and reading it, like really reading it for the first time. And we think, okay, here we go. He's going to start to realize that his school is full of people with feelings. But no. Instead, he says, you know, I had been so busy feeling sorry for myself that I hadn't even seen what I had achieved. I had put out a literary magazine. Like, that's... And by the way, this is like the the high point of the story. This is him saying, this is the end. Yeah. There is no place to go after this, except die. That's yeah. what happens afterwards. And th- this is his redemption. This is like the thing that he gets before he dies that yeah. makes it all okay. Yeah. And Basically, his thing is, I forgot how awesome I was. Yeah. He turns from self-pity to self-righteousness. Yeah. And the end. And the end. Right. Compare that to Sean who says, what was I thinking? Mm-hmm. Look at these people around me. They love me. 
and I love them. They may not be perfect, but hey, neither am I. Right. The, the end, you know? In a world where people can be superficial and stupid and selfish, there's still hope. There's no hope for anybody in Struck by Lightning. And that is why, by Unless the way... Unless they can all be more like Carson. Exactly. That's the, on, that's the only thing they can do. Um, and that's why, that's why I hate the movie. I think it's misanthropic. I think it hates... I think it hates everybody. Um, and it does come from... By the way, like I read some, some interviews and stuff, and Chris Colfer, who is... Um, who came out as gay pretty young in life and said that he was bullied as a result, which I have no doubt of, by the way. Um, He said that he wrote this script kind of in the midst of that, which I don't doubt. But it it clearly illustrates this idea that if – and even though the film doesn't show him being bullied, it's this idea of like if people are keeping you down, whatever it is – then not merely do you have to break free of them and leave them behind, but you are totally warranted in however you're going to act towards them, which is, and, and by the way, that attitude also lacks perspective because at some point, chances are we, each of us individually have kept somebody else down in some way, yeah, whether we meant to or not. Mm-hmm. And so it's funny that attitude's kind of the emotional equivalent of a revenge film. Isn't yeah, it? <laughs> it really is. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of like Mystic River or any of those others. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to end with uh, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Um, and that that basically says other people matter, and if you are a Christian, you need to realize that. Um, and you need to act that way. And I know that I myself often don't. I often act like I'm... I often feel like I'm very important. Now, it's interesting. I often, I think a lot of myself, which not, which is not to say I think much of myself. Um, I don't think much of myself, but I do think of myself a lot. I tend to think of like the ways in which I'm falling short and how I will be perceived and that sort of thing. And I always think I'm not going to be perceived well and I'm not doing well, but I'm still thinking of myself first. And that means I'm going to focus only on the things that I need and or the things I need to do in order to look better to other people. Uh, but it's interesting. I often find that when I when I try putting other people first, when I actually want to like do things for them, uh, you know, help them with their problems or just or just hang out and have fun with them and stop thinking about me, uh, whether me being crappy or me being awesome like Carson, um, I often find like that just goes away. And and I'm much happier, by the way. And so, once again, a uh, a major message of the Bible uh, can actually help us live happier lives. <laughs> so, um, so I'm fine with ending there. Did you have anything that you wanted to no, throw I think out? That's a good, I think that's a good wrap up. Okay. So, all right. So you can uh, email. Me and Josh, you can email me, Tyler, at more than one lesson.com. You can 
email Josh, josh at morethanonelesson.com. You can uh, follow me on Twitter. That's twitter.com slash more lessons. You can follow Josh. At the Josh Long. At the Josh Long. And uh, I will end by uh, once again uh, asking you to go to morethanonelesson.com and through there you can get to uh, the page for Will Gray, where you can donate, uh, you can donate to help him with bills and the various things that uh, that mount up. And so, uh, and again, any amount well, I'm sure would be appreciated. So, uh, so thank you very much for listening, Josh. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. And we'll get you next time. Bye.